0: Hey everyone, John and Andrew here.
1: Welcome to the podcast. On today's episode, The Courage to Come Back.
0: Taking the journey inward.
1: And being an enigma.
0: This is Optical Course. Uh, let's go. Being an enigma. <laughs> <laughs> like, what was that? you just said. Being
1: an enigma. An enigma. An, I, an enigma. I
0: told Andrew he probably shouldn't say that, but he pushed through. Yeah. What is that?
1: An enigma? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh well i mean our guest yes. is the enigma today she, um, she was once called an enigma by her a, therapist yeah. A, yeah which probably not the right thing to say i think it was like on the first visit <laughs> too was. yeah which basically means like you're i can't help you yeah exactly or, like you too whatever yeah but for sure. um the word itself
0: it's a good word it is and we don't use it enough because but, we can't say it well, but we should use it at the right time as we learn. Yes, right? and don't just call someone that and then you know drop the mic.
1: It, it can be complimentary or otherwise. Yeah, nobody wants to feel like they're completely different from everyone else, and and we aren't. We are all connected, but uh, we can often feel alone in our struggles, whether it's with mental health, uh, you know, self worth, what have you.
0: For sure. So Andrew, you are um, you're sort of pawning or rubbing, um, coddling. Yeah, you're coddling the uh, recorder. This entire recording, <laughs> the Zoom so device. Was, yes. Yeah, folks, a bit of an obstacle. This this recording <laughs> is. Uh, we were getting some feedback. Well, Andrew was getting some buzzy buzzy feedback, which none of us could hear.
1: Yeah, but I'm my headphones are attached to, to the, the Zoom <laughs> H4n recorder which is emitting some sort of distinguishable fuzz or, uh, yeah. Or, yeah.
0: So I look, we look Fuzzle over it. in the middle of the recording and, uh, Andrew's just <laughs> holding it like a, like a lucky charm. And just, yeah. yeah,
1: just, yeah, just gently embracing it. Did that help? Or? Well, in certain <laughs> positions, it would help me. It's my, my new safety, uh, <laughs> yeah. device. It, in certain positions, it stops making that noise. So, uh, audio files out there, please tell me what's going on.
0: Now, I was just going to say, that's a, that's the type of behavior of somebody who doesn't know what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> right? and so if, if we haven't said already on this podcast, yeah. when it comes to the technical part, we are we are just making it up as we go along. Mm-hmm. We're good as long as everything goes well and the light stays green Yeah, and the recorder stays red, but if yeah. the green or red disappear, then we're <laughs> fucked. We're just like, uh, I don't know what to do.
1: We are we were on a journey. <laughs> of knowledge acquisition and it's a slow one
0: (laughs) so yeah seriously if if anyone who knows what they're doing um has advice on how to get the buzzing out of your ears or Mm -hmm. our ears please let us know
1: i'm gonna start with a new audio cable
0: okay so we don't need your help but andrew but he's got
1: it well no i i don't know Anything, But um, it, it's my first shot at it. Yeah. And know. I know even less. <laughs> so, what's less than nothing?
2: Yeah.
0: John. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah.
1: um, but before you turn off the this podcast and go mm-hmm. to someone who has better audio, I will say that by cuddling the Zoom device, I, I was able to remove most of the bu- buzzing. So you shouldn't hear that on on the episode except maybe little bits and pieces that will probably be edited out
0: what did that give you Andrew when you you were cuddling the the cuddling cuddling device uh, as a question you ask our guests all the time
1: relief (laughs) when (laughs) when it stopped and frustration when it increased because some directions I cuddled it it made it worse yes which you never you'd never think that cuddling could make a situation worse no maybe if it was if you were like in a steel cage with a tiger or something
0: yeah but often cuddling does provide relief absolutely right are you a cuddler oh i, I am a cuddler i can see that um How yeah, does it i i you know there's different love languages apparently there's five yeah the experts and yeah my, mine might be touch yeah
1: i think mine my biggest one was physical touch as well <laughs> right mm. <laughs> as... if the listeners could see what we're doing right now yes, I'm, real... I'm sitting on andrew's we're, lap. we're actually just using one microphone <laughs> <laughs>
0: <sighs> All so right, Cumberland, Suzanne. eh? Oh, Cumberland. So come, Cumberland about, came up in the podcast because yeah. uh, Suzanne's from Comox, which is close to Cumberland. Yep. So let me tell you a little story about Cumberland.
1: You know what I like to call it? What? come Town. That's what <laughs> oh, they have. Wow.
0: <laughs>
2: they
1: have. Wow. There's. I was strolling through Cumberland, <laughs> and. <laughs> <laughs> there's a sign uh-huh. like in someone's so, front yard was like, it spray
0: painted like? no it was like quite <laughs> cute it was welcome to come town oh my gosh uh, anyways let me tell you about Cumberland as we'll call it okay <laughs> oh my god so Cumberland um a number of years ago um we started a Christmas light side to my, my lush business this my, isn't my, just my, a marketing opportunity for no your... it's not although it is this will probably come out in December so. but yeah so um you know i had gone through the winter a number of years without a zero with zero money mm-hmm. and, and that was a problem so i started a christmas light business and in the in the early days we started with one and then we thought we should grow this
1: just like one christmas light one just... customer
0: <laughs> <man. Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> like literally, yeah one light <laughs> no one one customer and so when we got the call from cumberland like well this is like way out way like far out beyond what we service like we are we service like oak bay and victorian and, and parts of duncan and stuff But, you know, you'll take anybody. So we're like, sure, we'd love to do your Christmas lights. And it's like two or three hours from from our base. Were there travel expenses? Yeah, see, and that's the thing, right? I was so happy just to get this customer. Because we do make a decent amount the first year because, you know, you got the setup and the customization and the product and everything. So it kind of made sense. But then the next year, you have to go back and put them up. And it really only takes a few hours. And you really can't. You know you can only charge so much so now every single year since <laughs> i've made that decision me and justin sort of reluctantly get in the truck <laughs> and we don't take any other employees because we would just lose even more money we drive all <laughs> the way to cumberland we do that one little job at one point we got there and it was like um <clears throat> cumberland's like another climate zone i think because whenever we get there it's like it's like actually snowy and so much colder than where we started that mm-hmm. morning all this to say you know, it's one of these things we do appreciate if this customer happens to be listening and they're like, what the hell, man? Um, <laughs> we, we do appreciate your business, sir. But at the same time, driving with of Cumberland is a pain in the ass every year. And we've got to do it twice because we've got to go back down and take down the lights. So where am I going with this story? That's what I want to know. Well, Com. <laughs> Click on holiday lighting and you know <laughs> Where I'm going with this is: This morning, Suzanne got up and drove from Comox, um, which was three plus hours, to come and sit in our studio, yeah. and and tell her story and tell a very difficult story. and And we gave her the Zoom option, and she said, "No, no, no; these things need to be done." You know, at the table with tea and good friends. Mm -hmm. and and, uh, I think
1: you inserted the tea part.
0: I think I did and maybe inserted the good friends thing too. (laughs) You know, it made the story a little little more touching and it's something she would probably would have said. Oh, for sure. (laughs) But the whole idea of like we need to sit together and and three hours for her was nothing. And Mm so I'm going to, you know, maybe perhaps use that to adjust my own mindset now when I go back next week to put up this guy's lights. But also we're very thankful that Suzanne Suzanne did take the trip.
1: And that she had a driver that we got to meet as well, Patricia
0: patricia and who also connected us with suzanne yeah and uh, we always appreciate that folks if you have somebody that you think would be great on this podcast please 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 send us an email obstacle course at gmail.com
1: obstacle course podcast at <laughs> gmail.com correct <laughs> you nailed your Whenever uh... I
0: try and mark it I, I like give the
1: wrong address obstacle course <laughs> bad guys
0: <Ooh>. Yikes.
1: Oh. <laughs> i think they got it the first obstacle time. course podcast being an enigma <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy this episode, everybody. It's uh, she's Suzanne's amazing. Her story is fantastic. She's been all over the world and following her passions from an uh, incredibly horrendous upbringing. Um, she's an inspiration and a lesson in resilience.
0: Well, let's go. So Suzanne, yes, you—if we—if we had the awards for distance, which we've never had because most people are local—you would win. Yay! Listeners, we need you to know that Suzanne got up this morning in Comox and drove the three plus hours all the way on a rainy highway <laughs> to come and record with us in studio today, and uh, we are very touched by that because we know mm-hmm. time is important and we know that. Presumably, you have another three hours to go home. <laughs>
3: well, actually, um, it was Patricia who drove me, so she's from Campbell River. Right. So she got further. up further. So I just got to be passenger today, which was kind of nice. And well, and we want to give a big
0: appreciation and... to Patricia. Yeah, and so, it's pretty awesome. So um, Suzanne sitting here today primarily because Patricia, who found our podcast, and she doesn't know how. <laughs> yeah. Which uh, is is interesting in itself. She uh, sent us an email and just said, you know, love what you guys are doing, and I have. I have a friend a hiking buddy who has an incredible story and you need to know and then she sent some links to some articles which which we read and mm-hmm. and Andrew and I were just like oh my gosh this is, this is a superwoman I mean, <laughs> what what a life it, um, she's she's overcome mm-hmm. And uh, so we're just yeah we're honored that you're sitting here today thank you thank you absolutely
1: and you've got a good blog as well that's out there yeah. if people want to learn more we'll just mention that now before we get going because then we won't forget to mention it at the end. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's, it's just your name. So SuzanneVenuta.com. Yep. Perfect. And we'll put that in the show notes, of course, as we always do on our website, And oh. <laughs> We can promote ourselves on <laughs> our own podcast, yeah, absolutely. right? Absolutely. <laughs> Self-promotion. If we can't, who's going to, yeah, right. right. <laughs> uh yeah so yeah we're absolutely thrilled and and honored as john said to have you here and
2: my pleasure
1: yeah um we're excited to dig in here so one of the places we thought we could start was your magical 10 week was it 10 week trip to ireland that you took wow and if you want to just tell us a little bit about that about maybe uh, a highlight or two and the purpose for taking that adventure
3: Ah, Yeah, okay. Um, Ireland had called me since I was about 10 years old, um, and this was before I realized there was any ancestral connection. There was just something about it, and I never thought I'd ever go. You know, um, Life was pretty crappy and shitty, and dreams are, are for other folks and stuff, so I never really thought much about it, but it kept pulling me and kept pulling me and kept, kept pulling me, and sometimes you get to a point in life you actually have to listen to it, because mm-hmm. if you don't listen to it, it's going to do what it needs to do to make you listen and so I saved for 10 years and in 2018 May of 2018 I went Did a solo trip to Ireland, and um, up till that point, the only solo trip I'd ever done was like two nights in Victoria. Hmm. So (laughs) it was a bit extreme, which apparently I tend to do, going with both feet. (laughs) Um, And it was, um, I'd been in therapy for a lot of years, and um, with my trauma, trauma and my background and stuff, part of the trip was about putting old family ghosts to rest, old trauma to rest, and um, honoring the resiliency that I have in me that my ancestors gave me that help me survive what I did. So it was a journey about finding myself and, and reconnecting with roots. And um, I landed in Ireland, it was magical. And there's an organization called Women Welcome Women Worldwide, 5W. Mm. And it's for women who travel solo or sometimes with their partners. And you have worldwide membership. So I hooked up with three of those gals when I was in Ireland. And one of them, Rogine, came down and picked me up in Dublin at 8.30 on a Sunday morning. And um, I stayed with her for four days. And it helped me get used to the time and stuff. And I remember there in 24 hours, I hadn't seen more redheads than I'd seen in (laughs) my entire life. Right? It was like, this was really cool. But um, yeah, it was a journey. It was an inner journey. And I pushed a lot of my old boundaries, old beliefs. And magical place for Mm -hmm. me it's just um, and I brought pebbles with me from my beach local beach um, where I live up in Comox and I knew I was going to drop the pebbles but I didn't know where right so it was just whenever I felt right that this is the right place to do this is what I do And, and every time I dropped a pebble or left a pebble somewhere it was like I was putting old old trauma old ghosts to rest like mm-hmm. the ancestral ghosts can rest now mm-hmm. it's okay we you know I broke the cycle of abuse and they can just chill and do whatever they need to do and um one of the highlights was I was on Inishmore Island um so I was there for six nights
1: I I have been to Inishmore it's magical it, yeah it's, it's so just amazing The the islands on on the far coast on yeah, the far on the western west coast, coast.
3: Yeah, and it was magical. And, and I remember being in the little sp- store, the one store they have there, yeah. right? And I'm eating an ice cream, and, and this Irish woman comes out, and she starts talking to me in Irish, right? And, of course, I'm like a deer in a headlight, and I have no flipping idea what she's saying, right? And she clued in rather quickly. Um, she goes, oh, I'm sorry, dear, I mistook you for a local. But inside, I'm like hand-pumping, like, yes, this is great. Yeah. So she was asking me about my trip, Um And I was telling her about it and why I wanted to do it. And and I said to her, I said, I have never felt at home Mm -hmm. like I do in Ireland. I said, you know, it's like I landed and it's like I've been this dried up reed all my life. And then when I landed in Ireland, it's like it was finally put back in the pond and it was swelling up and it was pulling nutrients. And it was just this phenomenal feeling. Unless you've felt that somewhere, it's really hard to explain. And she looked at me and she said, "That's your Irish speaking deer. She <laughs> says, "You've been planted in topsoil all your life. You finally hit the subsoil and you're being nourished." Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so that was one of the highlights. It cool. was it was a life changing trip.
1: Wow, well well told. I can. And yeah, it I, I like the term magical to describe Ireland because it, it definitely has that quality to it. Of it just seems a bit different the people are so incredibly warm and mm-hmm. genuine and friendly and the the culture is just it has that like you, you expect to see leprechauns just yep. just running through the field <laughs> in the in the all of the different greens of
3: and, uh, and there's nature. and the history right i was mm-hmm. up in sligo area in um carol keel which is where they have a bunch of cairns and there's you and these cairns and the sheep amazing
0: place well and we've actually had a couple Irish guests on so oh now cool. we'll add you to the list so Christine and Maeve what's up guys yeah or what's up gals I guess <laughs> and um you know I, I love the image you put um you you, you created with the pebbles oh. mm-hmm. I just I love that I really felt that emotion as you were talking about that as as a pebble dropped it was like dropping away that um the pain mm-hmm. or, or that yep. um that place and so I, I wondered about sort of the first pebble and maybe the last pebble.
3: Um, the first pebble was dropped in a town that I can't remember the name of. Um, mm-hmm. But I was staying in at Rogine's place and I took a day trip. And I'll send you an email with the name of the place on. Okay. Uh, and it's a Medieval Town, right? And so I got off the bus. So you have the main road and then you have the bay on the right and then the town on the left. And so there's all these, you know medieval walls and stuff which is i'm totally into right and i I thought thought, this is really cool i want to go see this and i start walking through the gates of the town past the tourist information and there's this pull you know it's not like somebody a hand from the ether grabbed out and pulled me it's just this this Mm -hmm. pull that i felt so i went to the water and then i walked along and i think it's under some king's old castle And I walked out, and I thought, this is the place. Mm -hmm. And I just dropped it there. Another place, and it was just something that, once again, I'm kind of more intuitive than anything. It's just, it wasn't scripted. It was just, I'll I'll go where where it tells me to go. And then another place was on um, Inishmore Island. And I spent a lot of my time in Ireland walking around touching stone because I come from a long line of stonemasons, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I had gotten... Also some pendants from IHAS, which is the indigenous store up on, in Comox there. And it was the little pewter, and it was uh, f- the frog, the symbol of the frog, which I, and it has connection on the back. And so I, would, I was walking along on Inishmore Island the last night I was there, and I took a pebble, and I took the pendant that said connection, and I stuffed it in a wall. Mm-hmm. And I thought, somebody will find that. Next time they take that wall apart, could be 10 years, could be 100 years from now, right? But that's at that time, that's where I felt really connected to. And each one kind of went at a deeper level the longer I was in Ireland for. Um, in Cape Clear, I, it was about my seventh week that I was there. So, And a huge epiphany had happened, a huge shift had happened for me on the island. Um, and so I left one there too. So. Hmm.
1: I'm curious about the, the shift.
0: I, that's literally why I looked at Andrew. I was like, go ahead. You're going to ask about the epiphany.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to give us sure. any more um, detail? Sure.
3: So when I was, to segue to this, I was, um, when I finally started talking about, instead of saying, oh, one day I'm going to go to Ireland, I finally got to the point where I am going to Ireland, and I was talking to my family doctor, who happens to be Irish, and... Um, he said, how long are you going to go for? And I said, well, at least five to seven weeks solo on my own. And he looked at me. And he said, why that long? I says, I don't know. <laughs> That's what my guts tell me I need to do. I need to go five to seven weeks on my own. And that was almost on cue on Cape Clear Island. Now, going solo, when you travel solo, they don't tell you in the books about all the hard times, right? They say, oh, yeah, this is a great place. This is a lovely beach. You need to go here. This is the best bar this is where they have the great trod music, you know. Mm-hmm. They don't tell you about the challenges and the loneliness and how you cannot escape your past; it catches up with you. So there was some of that stuff that I had to deal with, and um, and because I spent so much time on my own, it was a lot of reflection, right? A lot of internal dialogue, and um, and dropping the pebbles. And thanking my ancestors also meant I needed to acknowledge the pain that actually happened, right? Um, so I remember waking up on Cape Clear Island, and there is a standing stone on the island, and there is a hole in the middle of that standing stone that directly aligns with a passage tomb on the next island, and the top of that stone directly aligns with the summer solstice. So I was there during summer solstice. Hmm. I didn't make it to the stone because it was full of cows, Um, (laughs) but I got there the day before, but I couldn't do it on summer solstice. And I remember waking up that morning and it's like a shift had happened. I felt more whole. I felt more authentic. And it's like a piece of the puzzle had dropped in where it belonged. And it was like a, not one of these paper puzzles we have, but the old Victorian wooden puzzles that are like an inch thick, Mm -hmm. thick. And once they're in there, they're solid. You can't fluff them together and break them apart. And that's what I felt. I felt so solid and so sure. And so this is the direction my life needs to go. And this is what I'm meant to be doing. And it was just, um, yeah, this huge epiphany. Like, okay, I'm on the right path. And, and I needed to go to Ireland to find that. <laughs> you know.
1: It's a beautiful, yeah. beautiful story. Remarkable. Yeah. Um, perhaps now would be a a good time to start talking about Um, that that cycle of pain that you you mentioned um do you recall when it began
2: (laughs)
3: about three years old yeah abuse um that started happening was started when i was about two and a half three years old Um, my father was uh alcoholic and when he was drunk he became very violent and i was brought up in a very dysfunctional home, both parents, I look back now, both had a mental illness of some type, of course never diagnosed, you didn't in those days. And so two very damaged people got together and had nine kids and oh. yeah, mm. not one of us kids got out of that family not being scarred. Mm. Um, so the abuse—the sexual abuse for me started when I was about three years old and then there was physical abuse. Um, and of course with that's emotional abuse. Um, neglect, abject poverty, um, which totally screws with a kid's head and their sense of self-worth and their sense of who they are. And that continued on until I left home when I was 19. Uh, the sexual abuse start, stopped when I was about 15. and um, But the psychological stuff kept happening, right? Um, i get away from home and any time we got back together with family, it was just a psychological stuff would be repeated, and it got to the point where I can't do this anymore, you know, and you got to pull away. Um, And then, um, yeah, so that's kind of my background. Where were you raised? I was raised, actually, in lower Vancouver Island. I was born in Victoria, Okay. Um, and uh, we moved around quite a bit. Dad was a bricklayer, and then we moved to Sydney. Um, I started school in Sydney, and in grade four, which would have been about 69, we moved up to the Comox Valley. Okay.
1: Thank you for for sharing that. I, yeah. I understand that even though it was many years ago, there there is still um, mm-hmm. there is still pain that, that is attached to to it.
3: Yeah, and it's you know it's it's a journey. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's life's a journey. This was a journey, and it's, it's just you know, and it's it's what happened to me is not who I am, right? It's part of what it's part of my story. But it's not my story, it's not me. Um,
0: you, you know, Suzanne, you mentioned the journey, and, and I wondered if you could somehow take us through a bit of the journey of thought that accompanied this, um, your tragic past. Um, how did how did the thoughts evolve over time as you got older and, and things like that?
3: Uh, for the longest time, um, especially growing up and being in that environment, um, I thought I was dumb. I was told I was dumb. And I'm stupid. I'm ugly. I'm a piece of shit. You'll never make anything. Why dream? And if, if, you know, people say, how could you believe that? And I'm going, if you're four years old and you believe in Santa Claus, right, why would you not believe the people that are taking care of you? Right. right? And, yeah. and they're your caregivers and they're supposed to know, right? So if they see you're a dumb piece of shit, then obviously that must be who I am. Mm. Um, and... And being told that constantly, over and over, either directly or indirectly, really, really screws with the psyche of a person. Till they they become that's who they are. Mm. You know, they believe this is who I am. And why even try, right? Because, um, you know, anytime I try something, it would get crushed. You know, anytime I had a dream, it would get crushed. You know, like who do you think you are? Who wants to listen to you? You know, what makes you think you're so special? Which, as you know, I'm, you know, I'll be 60 tomorrow, and I realized that was their pain being projected onto me. But as a kid, you don't understand that, no, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so um, I did eventually graduate um, high school up in, uh, up in the Comox Valley there. And, but still, for the longest time, um, I was a kid or the young adult that walked down, looking down at the sidewalk, never being able to make eye contact, um, never being able to trust the world. And if I don't trust the world, I don't trust myself, right? right? And and why take chances, right? Why, why even dream, right? Because from a very young age, um, I was, you know, as I said about the Ireland trip, right? Dreams are made for other people. They're not made for me because life had already chewed me up and spit me out in the gutter at that young of an age. Um, that That's what I believed for the longest time. And um, my coping mechanisms were dissociation, right? I would disconnect from... Life. Um, when I was 12, I started drinking. Um, and it wasn't to get high. It was to to numb the pain, um, at-risk behaviors, and trying to do all these coping mechanisms to try to stop the pain, until a point I got in my life when I was mm, probably about mid-40s. I'd been married. It was my second marriage. I had a son. Um, and, you know, one of the lines I use is, life just kind of, you know, my past kept seeping into my life, Right. Until it got to the point where, you know, Susie, what are you going to do? You're either this is going to keep repeating, or you need to do something about it. Um, and that's when the therapy started.
1: Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that that's... Um, I can't even imagine what that must have been like, but how do you think you did um, survive until that, that point in your life with, with, with all of that trauma and, and pain that had been not dealt with.
3: Dissociation. So I've been diagnosed with what's called dissociative identity disorder. Um, And it used to be called multiple personality disorder. And it's not like Hollywood folks. It's not this batshit crazy stuff that Hollywood portrays, right? right? It's actually a very actually smart way for a little kid to be able to survive overwhelming circumstances. And people say, how does this association work? Well, if you look, if you think everybody's or pretty much everybody has seen a cat get a mouse, right, catch a mouse. So we all have the ability when danger happens to fight it, flee it or freeze, right? So we do the fight, try to get away from it. Um, to beat it up so it doesn't get us. We do that. try to get away from it with a flea, and then we freeze. So we try not to be noticed, right? And everybody goes through, automatically goes through those three stages. You can't stop it, it's just the way the brain's wired. It's what the body does. So sometimes you'll see a cat that's got a mouse, and the mouse looks dead.
0: Mm-hmm. While the
3: mouse is in, has gone all through those three stages, fight, flight, and freeze, and now it's in the stage called Submit and Collapse. And what that means is then the mouse realizes it can't get away from the cat. But if it fights it, it's going to get chewed up more. So if I pretend I'm dead and just flop, that's a Submit and Collapse. Maybe the cat will leave me alone. And very often, not always, but sometimes you'll see the cat either play a little bit with the mouse and leave it. And then the next thing you see is the mouse will jump up and take off. And that's basically... What dissociation did for me, I would do the fight-flight-freeze and uh, submit-and-collapse. And And when none of that was happening, when the danger the person came in and was starting to abuse me, and then I couldn't get away, I went through all those five stages, I would dissociate. And dissociation is kind of like I invented a persona to deal with the overwhelming circumstances. So the real, I think they call it ANF, apparent normal and as Apparent Normal Self, I think it's now the terminology for the core person of of who I am. So when the trauma was happening and I couldn't get away from it, I would dissociate and disconnect. And then when um, the event was over, that persona would go into the background and the Apparent Normal Self, me, would come out. And carry on with life like nothing was going, nothing had happened. And it's a very creative way to survive overwhelming circumstances. And again, you cannot stop it, it just automatically happens. There's no way a kid can stop that from happening. That's just the survival technique that we are wired with. Um, And while that was a really good way for me to survive um, dangerous situations, What would happen was, um, so you know, a week would go by or whatever and the perpetrator comes back in the room and then so I would, they call it switching again. So the apparent normal me would go into my subconscious, that persona that dealt with it um, would come back out again. Um, But then it got to the point that persona couldn't deal with it so I would fracture again, right? So when I talk to kids in school, I tell them it's like you've got a 12 by 12 inch piece of glass mirrored glass and you are got to holding it over a concrete block or a concrete floor. And you pull out your hand and it drops to the floor and it's going to shatter. And it will shatter in little tiny pieces and it will shatter in really big pieces. And that's basically what happens to a kid's psyche when this type of trauma and abuse happens to them. So that's how I survived, right? But the problem is the body doesn't know the difference between excitement and danger physiologically the same thing happens right you get the rapid heartbeat you get nervous you start to sweat you're excited the same things happen physiologically so not only did it help me not remember the bad stuff it helped me not remember the good stuff because i would get excited and i'd get happy and and i wouldn't remember that either because i would switch then too
1: and i know that you didn't actually get diagnosed with Dissociative identity disorder until in your forties, mm-hmm. and how conscious were conscious you, were you it? Of, of it? Yeah.
2: Not
3: very. I just I felt um, I felt different than the other kids growing up. I felt like there was this glass partition between me and the rest of the world, and every once in a while, that glass partition would come down, and I could actually fully engage. But then there would be a trigger and something would scare me. And it doesn't, doesn't mean um, there is any danger, but as I said, excitement, happiness, right? Um, the same thing happens physiologically. So that glass wall would come up again. So I just knew I was different. I knew I didn't fit in, right? I could never figure out why I didn't fit in. Um, and I would have, you know, gaps of memory. You know, like people say to me, you know, who was your first grade teacher? I have no idea. Second grade, not a clue, because I was switching so much that it, you have this amnesia, this amnesia, I think it's called barrier, that you have no access to those memories.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And um, so math, prob- math in school was a nightmare because math is sequential, right? So, so Monday you have step one, Tuesday step two, Wednesday step three. Well, the apparent normal me would go in Monday, i'd go on tuesday but a different me would come into class wednesday and i'd have no memory of monday or tuesday's lessons it really interfered with that stuff
1: did you have anyone in your life in that period who who provided some positive support or maybe even who had a bit of an idea of of what was going on
3: well i had an older sister um, who i adored and we have a really great relationship now and i wanted to be like her and um, I had teachers, and I remember when we lived in Sydney, we had a couple, I thought they were old, but, you know, you're four, or five, six, you know, 25s old. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were called Mr. and Mrs. Porter, and they lived next door, and they could not know, they couldn't know the extreme of what was happening, but, you know, Dad would get violent, you know, there'd be fights in the middle of the night. They had some idea, So um, they would have my kid brother and I over for tea. Right. And on Halloween, they would make little goodie bags for us and they'd have a present for us at Christmas. You know, and this is what I tell teachers when I talk to them. They couldn't change what was going on. Right. But those connections um, are what kept us going. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I might not have been waited, you know, till I was 18 or 19, till I realized how much those connections meant. Right. So I had people making connections for points of time. Um, throughout that time but i didn't have anybody that i could talk to that i could tell was going i couldn't even come to face to face with what was dealing off you know with what was going on so um i couldn't you know like in high school i couldn't tell the counselors i wasn't ready for it i couldn't and i didn't have the support to support me when i did spill the beans
0: right you know perhaps a question related to that is is the idea of a safe place was it was there any safe places you had in those first 20 years
3: nature you know and even then that was a um twofold because you know abuse happened in the woods but um yeah nature the beach the library mm-hmm. you know um you yeah, know books that could disappear in for a while you know I remember being a little kid in Sydney and and um at that time there was a field between our street and Pat Bay Airport um, and I would go there and just lay down in the grass, and I would feel the grass, you know, whether it was damp, whether it was warm. If it was straw, I could feel it, you know, being prickly. I could hear the birds, frogs, um, bugs. So those little vignettes of, of grounding, which I didn't even know what it was at the time, right? right? Um, yeah. But grounding with nature at those times were were huge in, in keeping me going.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm curious when you did begin treatment um what was that process like i, I know there was there was years of therapy yep. um but for beginning to kind of come to terms with that and and maybe another question is what led you after all those years to finally choose to to take that um take that step and and really care for yourself i know that self-worth was something that you had a hard time mm-hmm. finding um because of the the situation because you were basically told you were without worth yeah which is just the most awful thing you can can say to a, a child but um yeah so what what led you to, to taking that
3: step um i had issues with depression and um things just weren't life got harder and harder and harder and i had my own daycare at the time i actually had two daycares uh in the valley and um it just it just everything seemed to take so much energy and it's like i was walking around in a swamp in this lead suit and i just couldn't seem to be getting anywhere and everything was such a trial and i i like i got to do something about this so i went to my Family doctor and said, I suspect I'm suffering from depression. And um, so there was a day therapy program at the local hospital. And what it was, was um, educational classes, right? On what is depression? What's PTSD? What is anxiety? Um, and one thing they did say to us, actually, and I was talking to Patricia about it on the way down today, was that no matter how you got here, it allowed you to survive right
2: yeah.
3: um, so there was no shaming about you know our coping mechanisms right your coping mechanism is to allow you to cope to allow you to survive and that's what it's done and they said and we're going to give you new tools to put in your toolbox right so i learned about anxiety and mindfulness and what depression is and what ptsd is and what complex ptsd is and then so i was taken these workshops and there's two levels, stage one and stage two. And they said to me, "You've excelled at this. You don't need to go to do stage two. You already surpassed that." And I'm sort of laughing. Oh, great! The one thing I excel in is trauma, right? <laughs>
2: <laughs>
3: and um, so there was a psychiatrist in town who had a, a psycho support group for people living with complex PTSD, and he said, "Do you want to um, do you want to join that group?" So I did, and. Um, so I was working with him and one-on-one. And um, then he has a—he started noticing about uh, me sort of zoning out and disconnecting. And so he thought, hmm. And so one time when we were doing the one-on-one, he said, I suspect, did you want to investigate this? And we did. And there was a screening that you did with a bunch of questions and uh, it came back, sure enough, I'm dissociative. Um, and he had a psychosupport support group uh, for people with DID. And he said, Do you want to join that group or do you want to stay in the PTSD group? And, and then I thought, mm, I want to get better. Right? So I joined the DID group. But, you know, I remember being in that parking lot the first time that I went to group on the first day. And I thought, Oh, this is so uncomfortable. You know, and the anxiety was up and the heartbeat. I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't want to be here. Oh, I could go have coffee. Hmm. Right. But that I knew this is my chance. Right. It's now or never. And I'm tired of living the way I am. I'm tired of being in the pain I am. I want to be a better mother to my son. So that's, yeah, that's where it started.
1: When you received that diagnosis, what thoughts went through your (laughs) your mind?
3: Holy shit, I must be crazy. (laughs) And then, thank God I'm not crazy, right? Mm. Uh, Or vice versa, thank God I'm not crazy. Finally, there's a a diagnosis to put into it, right? Mm. And then, holy shit, I must be crazy because my perception was the way everybody else's perception is. So I did a lot of research um, because I wanted to make sure my psychiatrist knew what he was talking about, Mm -hmm. right? Because why should I trust him? Life had taught me not to trust anybody, right? I could start putting the dots together, right? I could start understanding why I was doing what I was doing, right? Because mm-hmm. I would do things that I'm not proud of. And I know intellectually, I'm going like, what the hell? And emotionally, I know this is not who I am, but why am I still doing this behavior? Mm-hmm. So I could finally start understanding and piecing it together why I was doing what I was doing. And um, the first night I went to the DID group, I'm sitting there because there's five or six other people in there. And they were all at different stages. And I was the one that was newly diagnosed. There were other ones that had been diagnosed three or four years ago. And I thought, oh my God, they get it. I don't have to explain to them what's going on. And it's not like we, we didn't talk a lot about of what caused the dissociation that was left for the one-on-one time with the psychiatrist. But in the group, it was more about, this is how it's affecting my life what if, you know, have you guys got any suggestions to help me with this, right? So it was like a support group of people that totally got where you were coming from and you didn't need to explain um, what it was all about because they got it.
2: Hmm.
1: Why, this is a pretty broad question, but since mental health has become more accepted as as it's a, a real Burden for for a lot of people and in a lot of different forms But there are still stigmas that exist. Why why do you think that might be?
3: I think it's fear Fear of the unknown um, And there's two things. I think it's fear of the unknown. I don't understand it. Therefore. I'm afraid of it right and Because if we accept it we have to acknowledge that these things really happen Right. right? Especially mm. when it comes to childhood trauma, right? And that's why I started um, doing the mental health and advocacy work, right? Because I got so angry at professionals in the public who did not get it. You know, I had nurses when I was on the psych unit tell me it's all made up. I'm just doing this for attention. I'm thinking if I'm doing this for attention, I still need help, Right? <laughs> But I think it's fear, fear of the unknown, and it's complex. There's no one thing that fits everything, right? Like when you get when I broke my ankle, they could stick it in an X-ray. yeah, this is what we need to do, right. and this is what we need to put it back together.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Mental illness is not that easy, right? And it's, um, and I think for a lot of folks, they have struggles in their own life. That if we acknowledge that this happens, then I have to acknowledge somebody in my family has this issue. And especially when it comes to child abuse and the Trump... And, and DID is caused from um, severe abuse. It's also... But that's not the only thing. It's also created with kids who are brought up in um, war zones, right? Mm. Who live in refugee camps. And it's also can happen with little kids who have multiple medical procedures at a very young age, right? Because that's the only way they know how to cope. And it's, it's created before the age of seven, seven or eight, depending on which study you read, right? But for us as a society society to actually acknowledge that child abuse is happening, that child pornography is happening, which I'm going to change the word for that because people think pornography, oh, somebody's willingly doing it. In my case, I didn't willingly do it. It was child pornography. And it's actually now should be called child abuse Mm -hmm. that's being filmed to give it more of a realization of what's happening. And I think it's really hard for society to look at that, that this really happens and this is still happening. So it's easier for me to pretend it doesn't happen. It's easier for me to project my fear and make fun of the person that's got it than to really understand and recognize that this is an issue.
1: Thank you.
0: I got like three things rattling around in yeah. my head right now. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like trying to decide where to go with it. Um, so, um, the first thing that occurred to me, um, a number of minutes ago was uh, when you were explaining what, what did is all about, um, it almost seems in some really strange way that it's almost a loving act on behalf of your brain. It's trying to, oh, pr- yeah. it's trying to protect, protect you, me. Yeah, you know, cause it, cause it can seem like, you know, you talk about the movies, you talk about yep. the shows and it seems like such a, a frightening and kind of like, Oh, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but the way you described it, it's, it's almost like the brain has this intelligence to it that that we can't even fully comprehend. And it yeah. takes over yes. as a way to see you through an unimaginable horror. And and it just um, you nodding, you know, means that, uh, you know, that that was your experience. Oh, like yeah. It, it was it was yeah. like uh, so it just that kind of occurred to me. And then also um, you talked about running a daycare. And, and you kind of you had mentioned that and, and it, it occurred to me, in a, in a household with, you know, you said nine siblings, mm-hmm. kids all around in a very unsafe household. And then you go into a profession where perhaps you're now able to provide safety for children. And I just wondered if that was part of the mindset going into it or um, what what maybe inspired you to get into that line of work.
3: Um, Interesting question. Uh, when I was in Ontario and split up for my first husband, and I thought, okay, I need to go to college, if they'll accept me. And I need to do something. And I'm thinking, I'm going to get crap pay, so might as well be, enjoy what I'm getting crap pay at. So there was, <laughs> even then is that self-worth issue, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, it was a two-year program in Ontario for my early childhood education program. And... Um, Yeah, I guess I just... Kids are great. Kids will so keep you in the moment. Kids make me laugh, right? Mm -hmm. Kids are profound. They speak from the heart. They will teach you if you listen to them, right? And it's interesting that um, with my daycare, I had more kids that required support than the average daycare. I would have kids in my daycare that got kicked out of other daycares. I understood where they were coming from, Mm -hmm. right? It took me a while to understand that my staff didn't understand, and I couldn't figure out why they didn't understand, and then I realized, well, because they haven't had my background, right. right? So why would they understand how these kids are working? Um, so, yeah, it was just, and I guess, you know, I wanted to be somebody these kids could, could go to and be safe and and know that I understand where they're coming from. And it sort of evolved like that.
0: Yeah, and what prevented you from... From becoming perhaps bitter and angry, and and not being somebody who could show love and safety to to children.
3: Um, I think it's connections I had right all the way through um my life, whether it be like big ones like Mr. and Mrs. Porter next door, mm-hmm. right, or phenomenal grade four teacher I had up in Cumberland, right. And Martin Davies was just phenomenal, and um, and those nano, those what I call those those. Um, micro connections right that that don't cost anything people to think aren't a big deal but they change a person's life like mm-hmm. I remember being in high school um, grade 11 or 12 and a teacher walking by and there's like 1200 kids in my graduation class it was overcrowded and I was nobody and he walked by and he put his hand on my shoulder and he said Suzanne how you doing mm-hmm. right now I couldn't tell him what was going on because I couldn't even face what was going on right but I, and I can't remember the name or who this teacher was, but I remember that moment of connection. So mm-hmm. I think it's those connections that helped in the ability for me to see beauty in nature, right? Mm-hmm. That grounding, grounding thing. Um, and the dissociation, right? Because the dissociation protected the core essence of who I am. It protected who you see sitting here today right and because it protected me it never exposed my essence to all that trauma and all that crap um so yeah it was a huge survival skill and i think that was part of part of it too
1: yeah i love that that the number of times that we come back to connection uh, oh, when we're it's having huge. these conversations yeah. is yeah. remarkable and and those small acts of yeah. kindness that just have an amazing reach and and create such a profound impact that you know you don't even know who it was you have no but idea. um yep. yeah that you know 40 years later yep. yeah. still still have that in mind and it, it's just it so inspiring to be the person who makes those just small points of connection for for others and because we may never know the impact that they you, have
3: you never know and you know that's what i tell teachers right when i give workshops to teachers um you may never know the impact you have on the kid that's sitting in your classroom you know some may tell you later down the years but likely you'll never know Mm -hmm. right but you're making them
0: yeah and what's tragic is how many teachers might feel like they've never made a difference right and they just they don't and we can all feel like that yeah right that's why we just always got to continually do the right thing and because it's the right thing to do yeah yeah Mm -hmm. not because we're going to get credit back absolutely or or get our you know praise for it but because it's the right thing to do yeah it's nice yeah. when the praise comes too, though. Well, so. yeah. I mean, that keeps us going. Right? <laughs> yeah, but, you know. But but I get
3: what you're saying because if you're doing no. it for the praise, no, then really. it's not authentic.
0: Yeah, no, it's not.
3: You know, it's not authentic, and, and people. And it'll are gonna never include, be enough. It'll never be enough, and yeah. it's you know, it's it's like waiting for it's like somebody else thinks I'm great. Yeah, it'll never be enough. It'll still be hollow. Hmm.
0: If you were
1: able to say something to that, say, sixteen-year-old version of yourself in in that big high school with sees of other kids with their own struggles i'm sure oh yeah um but what what message would you would you give to that person
3: hang on it's gonna get better you know when um when i talk to high school kids um well i do with teachers too but it's more uh, prevalent with high school kids i'll talk to them and, and they come into the class and the first thing i do is give them chocolate right and I say to them, I say, you knew I was coming in today. Some of you may even know me, and you know I was going to talk about dissociation of mental health, but you didn't know you are going to get chocolate, hmm. right? And this is just to show you, you never know what's around the corner.
2: Hmm.
3: You know, so I would tell that 16, my 16-year-old self, or my 12-year-old self, that it will get better. It seems like forever, um, but you will survive this, and that, you're not the only one this is happening to. And that's part of the big thing is you're so isolated and you don't tell anybody or I didn't tell anybody. I thought it was only happening to me. And I thought it was happening to me because I was bad. Mm -hmm. right? Because kids need to justify why it's happening. Right. right? So even if I justify why it's happening, at least I've got a sense of control over a situation I have absolutely no control. So even if I told myself... This is happening to me because I'm bad. At least I've got a sense of control over that situation, which, of course, kids have no
2: control over. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, Was there any kind of um, confrontation, perhaps reconciliation with the abuser?
3: Uh, There are so many of them. Um, No. Um, Both my parents died before I started therapy, right? Because I'm the eighth out of nine kids. Okay. And um, I've got brothers who were, a couple of them were abusers, and um, it's never been talked about, and I just, I can't have them in my life, you know. Um, And if I came face to face with them, I'd say to them, I forgive you. Because now I understand as an adult that you were in pain too, right? And you were acting out what was happening to you. Mm -hmm. And so if they started abusing me and molesting me at such a young age they were pretty bloody young too. So who was doing it to them? Mm-hmm. So it was like a trickle-down thing, yeah. right? So, um, and, and forgiving somebody is not saying what you did is okay, right? And that's where society has this sort of warped concept or misunderstanding of what forgiveness is. But for me, forgiveness is I'm no longer going to carry this, mm-hmm. right? And I'm going to let it go. Right, it's no longer gonna impact me like it has. Um, so yeah, so there's no, there's no contact. There's, there's, yeah, there's no resolution with any of that
0: stuff. And that that takes just an unsurmountable amount of courage to be able to come to that place to say I, I forgive you for for doing something like that. And what it, how long did it take for you to get to the place where you could say that?
3: Oh... Uh... I started therapy in about 98, so probably 10 years or so, Mm -hmm. right? Once I was able to um, acknowledge what happened to me, um, understand how what happened to me created the behaviors that I did, and I needed to forgive myself for my behaviors, right? One of the kids in high school asked me one time, "Um, have you ever done any bad things, right? And I said, well... I don't remember doing really bad stuff, but with my memory, you know, who knows. Um, but I also know that if I did stuff that wasn't so great, it was also behavior of survival, right? So I needed to forgive myself for that too. Right. Um, so I think once I started to learn to be gracious enough and give myself forgiveness, then it was easier for me to give those who perpetrated against me.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've talked on the podcast about... How hard we can be on ourselves, oh yeah, and we say things to ourselves that we would never never dream of saying to another person, right? Mm -hmm. And it's it's a curious thing that we can do that, and it's and it's a bit of a a head scratcher that we could even do that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because it's so detrimental um, to so many things. But uh,
2: yeah,
1: something I'm curious about is, and you talked about it a little bit at the beginning is that connection with your ancestors. And I've, I've seen that you've written that that's a lot of where your resilience comes from. Yeah. And I'm, I'm wondering how you made that discovery.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, I came to the realization that um, because my forefathers survived whatever they survived, I'm here, right? And I tell the high school kids, you're here because your forefathers survived whatever they survived. So there's some real resiliency in there. There's some genes in there that that grab our very essence of survival, right? And um, and you've got that right. And if you look back at the Irish history, right?
2: Oh, yeah, you know yeah, the famine, survivors.
3: right? The famine, um, the thousand years of being, you know, under the rule of the British, mm-hmm. um, all the stuff that happened there,
1: and um, even just the weather. Like oh, the, the <laughs> on the west coast of ireland it is some of like the most barren like windswept pounded by the atlantic ocean constantly yeah like people living on the aran islands if there's anyone listening from the aran islands i'm sorry but it is rough out there it it like talk about hardy and oh, yeah. and uh, resilient people just to survive those conditions in in stone homes
0: even the topography is resilient <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah
3: yeah. So. Yeah, and it's amazing. Like you know, you you put seaweed in your stone field, so that eventually in the future you'll have soil. Whoa, right. Yeah. You know, because there's not a lot of soil there. Yeah. So. Or
1: or trees.
3: Or trees, are you know, because they were cut down two thousand years ago. Right. Yeah, so yeah. um, so that resiliency is there in me, and um, and even you know, my parents to survive. My dad was a vet, right? Um, and I know what the war did to him right, and, um, and he was a little strange before the war. Um, but the hardships that they went through and that they survived, right? So, um, so when I talk about ancestral connection and the resiliency, that's, you know, the gift that they gave me to survive what I did because the day I was born, I wasn't supposed to survive, right? Mm. You know, um, they had a mercy flight for blood mm. and it came, it was typical Victorian November in the fog right, in hmm. 1959. And it was foggy, and they needed blood transfusion, and um, there was not on the island, so somebody made a mercy flight from the interior. Wow. And we're talking about 60 years ago, right? So um, so somewhere in my genes is that fighter. You know, I fought from the day one, and my parents were told if I survived, I'd be a vegetable, right? Oh, well, wow. guess what? Wrong. Uh, <laughs> you know, so that, that fighter's always been in me. So that resiliency of we're going to get through this has always been there.
1: How, how does that make you feel, knowing knowing that that you've been a survivor since day one?
3: Mm-hmm. Um, part of me goes, yeah, duh. Um, <laughs> 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 yeah, it's just, you know, and that's just in the last few years of actually, I guess, the Ireland trip, right, that I really acknowledge that. Um, that and it helps me deal with life. You know, uh, life has its ebbs and flows. Right now it's wonderful. Um, and I know... It will not always be like this, right? And when it crap happens, and I feel horrible, and I'm back into hell again, right? Down to Hades and back again. You got um, a lot of air miles I inside, got a lot, right? <laughs> that's right, I've been down to Hades and back so many times, I should get air miles points, yeah. right? Yeah. But I know now, through all of this, that that will not last forever either, mm-hmm. even though it will feel like it
0: you know you know that that's that's the whole idea behind the obstacle course um in in our podcast is the recognition that you know begins anew every day every day that you never arrive and and we're and we're all in it together and that's one of the reasons we've done this is to create a community that knows they're all in it together yeah and and you know you you talk about you know you're a fighter and i can see it i know you are you you're making a fist, (laughs) fist as you said it you know you're a fighter and you got this resiliency um but at the same time um despite all that strength you might have, we still need help. Oh, and So yeah. you talked about um, therapy as being a trans- transformational, yep. um, helping you out of the perhaps the woods of your life. Yep. And so I wondered if you could speak to the importance of that um, for our listeners who who may may be at a place of immense pain or perhaps have been abused and have lived in um, hiding that mm-hmm. or, or ashamed of it or not admitting it to themselves. What What encouragement could you give them to seek out a therapist and, and perhaps what encouragement could, could you give them how to find a, perhaps a therapist that could help?
3: Um. Yeah, it took me a long time to, to acknowledge that I needed help. And once I acknowledged I needed help, it still took me a long time to actually seek it, right? Because there was that shame and, yeah. and you know, shame I should be doing better or shame that this is what happened to me. And that old, that old, you know, self-worth or, you know, if you were had your shit together, you would be fine, right? Um, it's okay to ask for help. Mm-hmm. I st- I still see a therapist once a month for a tune-up, right? Mm-hmm. And um, you know, if we had a sixty-year-old car, we'd take it in monthly for a tune-up to keep it going, mm-hmm. right? So, right. why yes. not the sixty-year-old brain? And mm-hmm. um, for the folks out there, if you whatever you've gone through, you're not the only one. Whatever you're going through, you are not the only one. And whatever you may go through, you are not the only one. And I think that was the biggest obstacle that stopped me from getting, seeking help, was thinking I was the only one. Mm -hmm. Nobody would understand me.
1: Terminal uniqueness, I think, is a term. Terminal (laughs) uniqueness, like that. It's a term that Trevor Uh, used when he was going through his, his work on himself.
3: Yeah. I like that word. Yeah, Yeah. you do. You think you're the only one, man, and nobody's going to understand you. And there's all this judgmental you think you're going to get from everybody. And you know what? You won't. And if you get a therapist that doesn't get it, keep looking. Right? I had a a, a psychiatrist in Saskatchewan. (laughs) Oh, my. I visited him once, and it was like, oh, never again. Right? (laughs) Um, But, uh, yeah, keep looking. And it's all about fit. Mm
2: -hmm.
3: What fits you? What works for you? Yeah. And it's, you know, it's like buying a new car. People people have no issues researching cars for two years and test driving cars to see which one they like and which one they don't. So why should not, you know, searching for healthcare to help you through whatever you're going through not be the same? Like, look for it and um, talk to your family physician first.
0: So what was important um, to you? What were your values when looking for that, for that therapist that fit?
3: I don't think I really had any. Um... When I saw the guy in Saskatchewan, um, one of the first things he said to me was, you're an enigma, because they couldn't figure quite figure out what was going on. Hmm. Is, that,
1: is that a compliment?
3: Not really. It means you can't figure it out, right? <laughs> yeah, right. And yeah. so says more about him. So here, <laughs> here, here is an example of what projection is, right? Yeah. You are the enigma. Not that I can't figure you out. Let's work together. It's you're the problem, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then yeah. he said to me, he said, because you were sexually abused as a child, you go to the doctors to be touched. Whoa. And I'm like, yeah, well, it was like, you know, good thing you can't record my thought bubble uh, that's above my head. <laughs> wow. um, yeah. So I thought never again. So it was 20 years before I went for help. That's unfortunate. Right. That, yeah. Which is too bad. But mm-hmm. um, I knew what I didn't want. Right. I knew I didn't want somebody who thought they knew it all.
0: Because right. it probably took you so much just to get to the point to finally look and then to have a bad first experience. That's so tragic. oh it was horrendous, right? Yeah. And
3: it, I just shut down again, right? Like so. Therefore, is another example of it's my fault,
0: mm-hmm. right. right? Right.
2: Yeah, the shame uh, came back. Shame came that.
3: back, right? And just like I'll shove it all down again,
2: yeah.
3: And I'll just bite the bit and just keep carrying on the best I can, right? So, so for me, a good fit is somebody who's going to listen, somebody who doesn't know it all, somebody who can admit. They don't know it all, mm-hmm. right? Somebody who will work with me as a team. Um, when I, when there were times that I was on the psychiatric unit at the local hospital, um, I needed a safe space um, processing what was coming up. And you know, people would say to me, you know, why are you here? And I would say to them, if this stuff happened to me two weeks ago, and I needed to be in a psych unit to get support make sure my medications were taken and just that I could get have a safe place and not dissociate or do any self-harm to deal with this, you would get that. But because it happened to me 40 years earlier, it doesn't make it any different, right? So um so and and with um it got to the point when I would go into the unit, I would have a support plan, right? So it was allowing me to be part of the treatment. Right? So my therapist, I have been lucky. The universe has put some wonderful folks on my path, right? And it's always been teamwork. What works for me? You know, this didn't work this time. And be able to discuss it and not just be told what to do. Mm-hmm. You know.
1: Are there any tools or resources or practical pieces of advice that you might offer someone, perhaps if they're not, in seeking a, a therapist, but maybe dealing with some challenges that, that you might be able to uh, relate to. Is, is there anything that, that comes to mind, whether it's a, even a book or a technique or, or just something that, that you've used to find peace?
3: Um, for me, I journaled a lot. I have, What's my son call it? Tomes. You have tomes, Mom. I said, what does that mean? He says, lots of books um, of my journals. And mm-hmm. so journaling helped me. Um, learning to be mindful, right? Mm-hmm. And people think mindfulness is really hard. It's not. It's mindfulness is, you know, I remember starting mindfulness, and the first mindfulness moment I had was when I was at a red light, and I realized my fists were clenched around mm-hmm. the steering wheel, and then I... Oh, and I let them go, mm. right? So just being mindful in little ways of how my body's reacting. I'm learning to breathe, right? Mm. I'm learning things like if I start getting anxious to take five deep breaths because it takes at least five deep breaths for the panic to be able to disengage from the brain. And it's got to be belly breaths, right? Not mm. little shallow breaths.
2: Um, I've,
1: uh, I've heard there's the, the Japanese say six deep breaths apparently actually lowers your blood pressure. If you take six um, conscious deep breaths, you'll, you'll actually decrease your blood pressure. Oh, I
3: believe Well,
0: in, I've heard yeah. it's four, you guys. So let's yeah. go with five. Let's go with five, right?
3: Five is what I use, yeah. right? Um, so deep breathing yeah. and being learning how to be in the moment Mm -hmm. right like um especially when dealing with family and stuff and friends and you know um and one of my great lines is is this hill worth dying on yeah Mm -hmm. for sure right because when for me coming from a trauma background everything was a fight right i looked at life as a fight right i had to fight for everything so it's like i needed to back off okay is this worth my energy Mm -hmm. and but for me journaling and, and learning what's important and um I remember years ago, my psychiatrist said to me when I first started blogging, he was like looking at me and just wanted to make sure I was doing it for the right reasons. And he said, what's the difference between your journaling and your blogs? And mm-hmm. I said, my journaling is my processing. My blogs are my observations. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's for me, writing is when I get a lot of oh aha moments. Cool. Right. For me, um, walks on the beach.
0: I love your phrase, let it go. Yeah. You know, like just that idea of the, the the fists on the on the steering wheel, and and we do that with our thoughts. You know, yeah. we just hold on to these storylines about ourselves yeah. and about what's happening to us, and letting it go, and just and being letting like, it go it's is really just a sc- thought.
3: It is, and it can be letting go. For me, was really scary because yeah. even if I had these horrible thoughts in my head, at least I knew them. Right right it's not the unknown mm-hmm. the unknown mm-hmm. can be scary oh for sure right absolutely. you know not anymore it's like oh yeah let's go yeah. Let's and the, go on this and adventure the breathing
0: is a part of that letting go yeah. it allows yeah. you to let it go yeah you know yeah.
3: And, and you know and feeling you know feeling your feet on the ground or the floor or wherever mm-hmm. you happen to be and um it doesn't cost a lot of money just really basic basic stuff music yeah for
0: sure you know,
1: in, in having, terms of yeah absolutely in terms of the journaling, was it structured at all or was it just kind of stream no, of consciousness?
3: Just free flow. Just cool. Start and finish when I'm done.
1: Awesome. And was and a, a practice like every morning or just kind of when, when it felt right?
3: Um in the heavy duty stuff I would be doing it like twice a day. Hmm. You know? Um, I wouldn't necessarily center my day around it, you know, but um, usually at night. Because I found if I let it go at night and put it in the journal, I could let it go. And then I would sleep better, right? Sometimes it would be in the morning. Um, But I'm ADHD, so nothing's ever the same each day.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You know, I was curious about spirituality, Mm -hmm. um, if that has played a role in your life journey at all. It
3: has. It has. I don't believe in God. Mm-hmm. I'm not a religious person, but I look back, and even from a very young age, I've been a very spiritual person, mm-hmm. especially in nature, right? Like I'm revisiting the John O'Donohue stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And i going, oh, especially after coming back from Ireland, right? Um, but yeah, I've been a very spiritual person, and I think that has helped me, even though I couldn't really name it. You know, I always had this faith that there's got to be something better. Than yeah, I'm this.
0: curious about that. Not believing in a god, but being very spiritual. I, I love that. Yeah, and, you know, people say how how can, how can you yeah.
3: you not do that? And it's it's like, um, I guess it'll mean something different to each person, right? And right. I'm not into even organized spirituality, no. some people are, and, and that fits them, mm-hmm. and that that's great, but that's not me, yeah. um, I'm a very unique individual, mm-hmm. And uh, an enigma, perhaps. Oh, <laughs> enigma <laughs> perhaps, that's right, and I want to keep it that way, right, <laughs> and, um, good one, nice one, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and for me, it's, um, I guess, connection with nature, and the whole universe, like, wow, you don't have to believe in anything, but but look where you are. Maybe look, that wonder. That awe and wonder. Mm-hmm. And I said to my son years ago, I said, no matter how old you get, and no matter what happens to you, don't don't lose that sense of awe mm-hmm. and wonder, mm-hmm. right? And, um, you know, and I was at Newgrange when I was in Ireland. I visited twice. Oh, darn. And um, I was there, and there's a bus that takes you from Newgrange to Douth, which is another. Uh, area, and so I'm on this bus, and I'm just like, Oh my god, I can't believe I'm in Ireland, I can't believe I'm here. I touch stones that people chiseled 5,000 years ago, you know. Once we go back to the stonemason history, right? My mm-hmm. family, I'm just like, Oh my god. And there's this woman sitting next to me, and she goes, First, she asked me if I'm Irish, I said, No, and I'm thinking, I don't even sound Irish, right? And then she starts going on about, ah, why do people think these were the first peoples that worshiped the sun, which they didn't, right? <laughs> and she's going on and on about this, right? And I'm just kind of, so I asked her where she's from, blah, blah, blah. Well, she's with a spiritual tour, right? Mm. And all I could do was send her compassion. yeah, Because I'm sitting there thinking, no matter what you believe, you don't have to believe in any afterlife or whatever just to be in this place, and not feel the sense of awe and wonder and i think that's what for me spirituality is that sense of awe and wonder of the universe and how it works together and you know the fungi the you know in the ground that are all interconnecting and communicating with each other
0: absolutely yeah it's a beautiful way to say it and a lot of a lot of religions talk about the faith of a child and, and you talked about when you're describing why you love children yeah is that same you, you it's that same kind of idea of this they have that wonder yeah right you see a baby you know or, or a toddler that's just these you look in their eyes and they're yeah. so full of like they they love everything they're taking in and they're so curious about it
3: yeah they're not afraid to do anything yeah right they're just like it's safe and you know a kid that sees a bubble for the first time mm-hmm. right it's just and and so i guess that's what for me spirituality is well
0: in, in a way when you connect with that wonder perhaps you're connecting with that child from yeah long ago yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah
1: great point um goth said awe and wonder are man's greatest part mm-hmm. and it's just a quote yeah. that, mm-hmm. that came up and and mm-hmm. i'm interested in the the hiking and the nature connection as well i i love doing that myself mm-hmm. um do you want to tell us about how you first got involved with Outward Bound and the, <laughs> the fact that you had a cast, and I think you said like seven pins in your ankle when you signed up for Outward Bound, which you can tell us all about yeah. what that experience was like.
3: Oh, guys, if you could see the grin on my face right now. I love I love Outward Bound. Um, yeah, so when I was in grade eight in Courtney, um Outward Bound made a presentation in our school, right? And I was 13 at the time, and I thought this would be so cool to be able to do. But again, at that time, it's like, it'll never happen to me. Nobody will pick me. I'm not worthy, yada, 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 right? So it just kind of stuffed to the back of my brain. And so in 2005, my psychiatrist was, or 2004, my psychiatrist was telling me about a six-week solo canoe trip he was going to take in 2005, right and I was really jealous I'd like to use the word envious but no it was jealous <laughs> I was really jealous of him and I thought this would be so cool to do because I've always wanted to go on a canoe trip but I figured I was too old right but he was 68
2: hmm.
3: right and I thought maybe just maybe he you know it's not too late for me mm-hmm. so um through the re- somewhere in the recesses of the back of my mind that seed that was planted from Outward Bound when I was 13 sort of floated to the top, and I went, oh, Outward Bound. So I went to the library, did some research, and found out they had a program called Women of Courage, and it's for women who have had trauma or abuse in their life. And it's fully funded. Wow. So I thought, this looks really cool. And there was a canoeing course in Algonquin Park for eight days, and I thought, oh... So I thought about it, thought about it, thought about it. That January, I slipped on some ice because I figured it would be safer than driving, not. (laughs) Uh, Fractured my ankle, so I had a plate and seven pins in it and this cast on my ankle, and I filled out the forms for Outward Bound. This is back in the old day Hmm. where you actually mailed it. Um, So I sent it out, and I thought, there's no way in hell I'm going to get picked or accepted, and and I was. Wow. And so with the Women in Courage programs, what they do is... um, they phone you, they interview you, they interview your therapist to make sure, not that they don't want you to be there, but they want to make sure it's a supportive environment and you have a positive experience, right? They don't want to set you up to fail, right? Yeah. So they talked to my therapist, my psychiatrist filled out his his bit. And he actually got emotional when he filled out the questionnaire and he said they're asking the right questions, oh, right? That's great. Because um, he knows lots of people that aren't accepted on outward bound, or not, not but outward outdoor programs because of mental health, right? So um, yeah, so I uh, went canoeing. Um, It was phenomenal. I was scared to death. I landed at the airport. I was afraid of my own shadow. You'd never know that with a person sitting here um, today. (laughs) But yeah, I was afraid of everything. And um, yeah, and it was a week long course and we met together and we started the week as strangers. Us and eight other women and two instructors. Um, But by the end of the course, you form this community. And it's just the growth that happened in that program is phenomenal. And it was when I came back from that program that I started doing my mental health advocacy work. Because I could get mad, jump up and down and have a hissy fit. Or I could do something about it. So I started doing something about it. Mm -hmm. And Outward Bounds weaved itself in and out my life Um, since then, culminating with um, the Tour to Mount. Blanc trek that happened in september
1: yeah which sounds just tell us a little bit about that it sounds absolutely incredible
3: so it was uh outward bound has these expeditions called reach beyond expeditions and what they are are fundraisers for the five charitable or four charitable programs for outward bound which is the women of courage um veterans program which a lot of people don't realize there's a veterans program for hmm. uh military vets that are um coming out of the military to help them transition into civilian life, uh, indigenous uh, youth, and uh, youth at risk. And they're all fully funded programs. So these Reach Beyond programs are fundraisers. So you raise money. Um, It's a fundraising thing. So... um, in may of this past year they said do you want to go and i went i didn't even know what it was hmm. um so and they made it happen and people donated air mile points and i raised fifty seven hundred dollars and wow. it was a hundred and seventy kilometer trek through the alps so Ooh. you oh yeah wow. <laughs> it was i had a lot of sleepless nights before going i'll tell you yeah. so it was um we started in Chamonix, France, and then we went counterclockwise. So we went through France. It oh, was amazing. Uh, it was spectacular. Italy, Switzerland, oh. and back down through France. And my feet were really good till about 100 kilometers in, and then the blisters started. And I think it's just because my feet were swollen, right? If I had another pair of boots, a half size bigger, it would have been okay. But it is physically the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, you know. And I've taken quite a few outward bound courses, and I brag and say, well, day five, I lose my crap, right? Because that's always. This one, I lost it on day one, right? (laughs) (laughs) It was, we had rain, sleet, snow, suspension, bridge. I don't do heights well. Why are you walking in the Alps, Susie? I don't know, (laughs) seemed like a good idea at the time. Um, We had uh, trails along the rock face that you could hang onto chains with. Um, The altitude, I realize now I had altitude sickness. Um, (laughs) So I was nauseous. How high did you get? Well, we were only starting at like 4,000 feet. But I've done the Rocky Mountain one. We Mm. were up to 7,500 and I had no issue. Mm. So who knows why Mm. this one happened, right? Mm. But um, it was the hardest thing I've ever done because physically, um, pushing myself physically and running out of breath is a trigger for me of my past abuse, Mm. right? So I would stop right i would pull back and i wouldn't push myself to that point
0: One also with panic and anxiety that oh, bre- yeah. breathlessness is also a trigger right? oh totally right yeah, so yeah. you get the whole trigger issue yeah, of me getting out of breath right absolutely. and
3: um so i just i couldn't stop you had to keep going our guide simon lovely guy said don't stop susie one foot in front of you doesn't matter how slow you go and just keep going and yeah. my thought bubble was saying other things to him <laughs> um you know, it's a good thing you couldn't read it. This but thought
0: I'm, bubble sounds like an interesting character. <laughs> it is. <Yeah>. Quite,
3: <laughs> quite vulgar,
2: too, I think. Oh,
0: yeah, it has its moments. Well,
3: <laughs> totally has its moments, well, right? Yeah. And um, it was not a good day. And then, uh, so we got to the top, and we're coming back down. And then I hit um, the wall, which I've never hit before, because mm-hmm. I've never allowed myself to push myself that far to hit that And I didn't know what it was, and I'm looking at my feet, and they don't want to move, right? Uh Like, it was just phenomenal. Um, But even just within that day, I learned that with the support of the group that I could push my body, and I was safe. It was phenomenal. Um, We had snow. We were on the call between, um, on the border of... France and Italy, and the fog came in. The clouds came in. You couldn't see twenty feet in front of you. The guy was a shadow, right? Mm -hmm. And it was cold. Mm. And so we're on the Italian side. We're going down, and there's a little information hut. And the guy said, "Yeah, at the top it was minus (sighs) ten. Like it was really cold." And then after that, it got warm. It got quite warm, but it was spectacular trip. Amazing trip. Um, Till the last day, we had ladders. And I lost my crap again. And people say, what does it look like when you lose your... Cr-? I cry, right? Mm-hmm. I get shaky, I cry, I get upset. And even then I knew that the, the fear I was feeling was a lot of the fear from the past was interfering. Like so intellectually, I knew this was over the top, right? But then it wasn't until later in therapy I realized what the issues with the ladders were, which there was a time, a couple of times in barns, abuse mm-hmm. happened right. and you had to go up a ladder. So somewhere in my recesses of my brain, I remembered that. And, wow. and so if I get to the top of that ladder, danger's going to happen, which it didn't, right? And um, there's three men on the course, all wonderful guys. They just took me under their wings like uh, big brothers, even though one's 10 years younger than me, right? And uh, hmm. I'm actually 15 years and it was a really good example of what healthy relationships look like, hmm. what healthy support looks like. And it was just life-changing and spectacular. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm eating tiramisu in Italy. <laughs> you know, I'm having picnics in the Alps. Uh, yeah, I was like this little kid, just like, Wow. It was, it was hard, but it was beautiful.
0: And this outward bound, it almost sounds like an inward bound journey too, right? It is, totally. Right. Every
3: outward bound is an inward bound Cause, journey. Because the yeah.
0: wall you hit is often mental, right? Oh, so you know, mental. It's, yeah. Your brain doesn't think you can do it. That's right. And and
3: uh, and it screams at you. It's, and that's
0: why it's like, just keep going. Yeah. Because you can.
3: Yeah, because yeah, the brain was keep screaming at mm-hmm. me, man, you can't do this, especially on the ladders. Like, yeah. you know, and I wondered, I wondered, you know, when I... Hit a point, would I dissociate again? Right, mm-hmm. and this has been talked about in therapy. Right, and I thought if this is gonna, if that's gonna happen, this will be the moment, and it didn't happen. But every fiber in my being was screaming at me not to get on those ladders.
1: Mm-hmm. What What do you think motivated you to to push forward and do it?
3: I didn't want to get stuck there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Not that's that they, I mean they wouldn't <laughs> leave me there, right? Yeah. Um, I I knew that, and having the support right and and somewhere in the recesses i knew i
2: could do this
0: but also there is a motto that outward bound has that's if you can't get through it um no if you can't get out of it then you got to get through it it. yeah right and and so that's probably part of it too is like you're on the mountain i mean you're not gonna call for a plane to come and get you and if they they
3: did they'd say tough luck right exactly
0: (laughs) so you can't get out of your situation even though your brain's trying to get you out of it it's like listen we we can't get out of this so we might as well go through it yeah and that metaphor is you know applicable in everyone's life yeah in all circumstances you can't get get out of it you got to get through it you got to get through it
1: which maybe brings us to the award that you Mm -hmm. won recently do you want to tell us about that and how that came to be
3: yeah so in 20 yeah i guess that was just last year last year in may Holy crap. Yeah. Wow, what's lot's happened since then. Uh-huh. So in May of last year, I was in Vancouver receiving the uh, Coast Mental Health Courage to Come Back Award. And one of my ringette buddies, because I used to play ringette, um, nominated me. Now, she nominated me the year before, and I was a finalist. And I thought, wow, this is pretty cool, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, this is pretty awesome that they think this much of me. And then the following year, she nominated me again and said, are you okay with this? I said, yeah. So... Um, thinking, I'm not special, nothing's going to happen, right? And I get this phone call from Lauren Siegel, who's the big guy over there with all this, right? And so he tells me, you know, what the award's about, yada, yada. And, and I'm thinking, yeah. Then he said, finally says, you've won it. And the first thing that came out of my mouth was, no shit. <laughs> 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 you know.
2: So yeah. it was, um,
3: and he said, hang on, because year and for a roller coaster for the next seven weeks right you're Mm. going to be really busy and and i was um so just like interviews and things like that oh yeah there was interviews with um uh, global tv um on the radio there was a newspaper whole page section about it um
0: but no podcasts
3: no, till now, Til till now. now. So you got right the exclusive, there, you go. You got the exclusive podcast <laughs> for this. Yeah. So they flew me over to Vancouver, and I had a personal assistant, which I went. I need one of these for the rest of my <laughs> yeah. life. She was amazing. Uh, she got me where I needed to be. Made sure I ate between sessions. Um, yeah, it was a little surreal. You know, um, it was a little overwhelming, which they said it would be. Um, yeah, sure. and so when my friend Jennifer nominated me and I looked at when the award date was the 10th that was the day I was scheduled to fly to Ireland mm-hmm. right and I thought I'm not going to win I'm not going to win and for two weeks I said then I finally said screw this I just changed the date just in case which is good so 36 hours after the award was my trip to Ireland oh,
0: oh what yeah a, what an amazing spring oh yeah it was wow. phenomenal um wow.
3: Yeah, so I'm backstage and then I gotta come out and give my speech to eighteen hundred people wow. and I got these two screens behind me that are fifty feet long and hmm. it was just Were
0: you pretty nervous about that?
3: No, I loved it. No I, <laughs> cool. Yeah. Nice. I was a, I was a little nervous. Um and in the you know, in the beginning if you watch the video I say um a few times. And then I caught myself saying um Hmm. Uh, and then I got totally got into it. It was
0: so where can our where forget forget our listeners where can we watch this? <laughs>
3: um, if you go to um, uh, there's a couple ways you can do it. You can go to my webpage, susanvenuta.com, okay. And go if you hit the about me link, okay. Um, the video comes up there, or if you put Suzanne Venuda in YouTube, it will come up.
0: Wow. It's on YouTube. So, Impressive. So um, we will add all that to the show notes. Absolutely. For sure.
2: absolutely. Yeah, it was
3: it was um. Pretty surreal, pretty cool though I loved it um, met some really, really interesting people and uh, one of the one of the fellows I met was Jim Ryan, and he got his award for a rehabilitation. Um, he's a quadriplegic mm-hmm. so he's he's paralyzed from basically the shoulders down neck down and um, so when the opportunity came up this year for me to go to to do the Tour de Mont, I thought, yeah, yeah, no, no, right? And within two days of me giving that offer, Jim put out a YouTube video of him going paragliding.
0: Oh, wow. Um, right,
3: he, I mean, he was doubled, and, and I thought, oh, oh wow. fuck, if Jim can do this, yeah, I can do this. Absolutely. Right. You know, so yeah, amazing. and there is
0: different categories at the awards. Yeah, right? there's, there's five for di- mental health yeah. and, and for physical and yeah, I was looking. Yeah, at I think that. there's
2: five different ones there's for a, five different categories. Is this
0: just BC or yeah, it's BC. Okay, yeah. so
1: as someone who, since you were three, four years old, had challenges feeling worthy, uh, was made to feel small, and really had been fighting since day one how looking back now how does it land to know that you've been recognized for courage and in front of a a huge audience and and being chosen on a couple of occasions because of your worth
3: um it took me a while and even when i got the award i had to go back to therapy right Mm -hmm. and and because there's still the old tapes that would leak through like who do you think you are right who wants to hear your story Mm -hmm. what makes you think you're so special right so even last year well even this year too i had to go back to therapy and revisit that but um yeah it's actually pretty cool it's it's and it's it's growing up with a narcissistic father Mm -hmm. um any type of recognition always had that narcissistic uh, uh, lean to it, right? So it was never a good thing because he always thought he was better than everybody else. Everybody else was so stupid. Mm. Um, all this sort of things, right? And so for me to be able to acknowledge that people view me as, you know, somebody who has courage, and I just think I'm just me, right? I just think I'm doing what I'm meant to do. And, you know, I'm. This is who I am. I'm nobody special, right? So, um, for to people, for people to honor me like that, um, it's pretty cool. And I still, I still have a little bit—not so much, but still have a little bit of, of challenge with being okay with that. And part of that is also, um, as a kid, if you were recognized, there was always ties, there were strings, and there's usually abuse that followed that, right? Yeah. You're special, and then crap would happen right right? so it's been really good because it's allowed me to grow right um but yeah it's it's pretty it's actually it's yeah it's pretty sweet and it's it's fun and it's like oh yeah that's pretty cool and sometimes I think holy shit kiddo look where you came from look where you are now yeah you know it's and and look what you do and you know when I talk to the youth especially you know it's it's like I want to be that voice that I would like to heard when I was 16 Mm-hmm. Or seventeen or eighteen, right, right? Yeah. um and I want to plant seeds like that outward bound planted that seed, and they never knew when it was gonna if ever blossom right and so when I talk to the youth and the teachers and do my you know my my work that I do i'm I'm planting seeds of hope, you know, and it may take twenty years for the person to be in a situation where that seed can actually grow, but it, once it's planted, you can't unplant it. And when the time's right, it will, you know, will happen and, you know, so, you know, and I still want to do stuff like TED Talks, right? That's like a whole different secret world. Um I gotta figure out how to get into that. Um Usually the
0: gateway to the TED talk is coming on this podcast. So I yes, think, I think you're there you go.
3: <laughs> okay, I'll let you know.
0: Yeah. You know, you, you mentioned courage and, and and you sort of downplayed a little. Oh, I never really yeah, see myself as I that. I could see my right? I could
3: t- I can hear my therapist. I never really
0: <laughs> see myself as that courageous. I'm just being me and stuff like that. Yeah. Fair enough. Um but at the same time I think sometimes it's easy to think like courage is these big monumental things. Yeah. But courage to me is I, I saw, it, saw it in your story. It is the out, outbound guy saying, "Come on, Susie, just one foot in front of the other." Yeah, like that's courage. It's those little things done consistently. Yeah, and and pushing yourself just a little bit when you don't think you can do it consistently. That 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 is that's what's come come through with your story. Is just this this a trajectory of courage, so okay. to speak, it's as a... opposed to like a one time like we're yeah. on a huge trip. That's courageous, but but courage is this like. Is this... Um, habit. Yeah, this habit. Thank you,
3: yeah. Yeah, and it's you know it's funny because the other night I was thinking, you know, um, how did I get to where I am now? Mm-hmm. You know, when I was younger, I would think it had to be this big, huge thing. Right. And society thinks it's this big, huge mm-hmm. thing. But you're right. It's just one foot in front of the other. Every day. You know, mm-hmm. every day. And you know I'm going to go to therapy, and I don't know what my future holds, but this is what I need to do. And for me, listening to my intuition, my intuition kept me alive, mm-hmm. right? And so I needed to honor it. And listen to that, and it's never done me wrong, mm. right? And when I first started talking to classes, right? When I took that first Outward Bound course, I never had any idea I'd come back after that and do the mental health work I'm doing, yeah. right? Um, but it was just one thing in front of the other, and none of it was planned. No. You know, it's you couldn't have written this out.
0: But you're open to it.
3: Oh, yeah. And you did. Yeah, it? being open to it and going okay, and, you know, being okay with solitude. I need solitude time, right? Like, um, mm. And it's okay to be like that. I I can't be this... I call tell people I'm a sociable introvert, which means <laughs> I like people, but yeah. I need my downtime too for sure yeah. right and and finding what works for you right and and honoring that and you know through this journey I've lost friends um, but then I've learned that that says more about them than it does about me
2: absolutely right,
3: but it took me time to learn that too mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, courage is getting up in the morning, you know, waking up and just sitting up in bed if that's all you can do that's all you can do for that day that's okay. it won't always be like that
1: mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. yeah Yeah, that beautiful journey of self-discovery
3: oh it's it's um, I don't want it to ever stop Mm hmm you know I I would get really bored with myself if I just stayed in one spot yeah Um, to me um, that self journey and and learning more of who I am um, helps my creative process and uh, makes me a better person
0: well and, and just even the journey here this afternoon yeah. You know, I remember saying to you, like, we can do this. We can do this via Zoom. And you're like, no, no, no. Like, this kind of thing needs to be done at, at, a, at a table with friends yeah. and tea. Yeah. And, and we agree. Yeah, and for so, me, that's how I work. Right? Yeah, and, it. and it's just, we're so glad you made that journey. Mm-hmm. And and journey is is a word that keeps coming up. And, yeah. and I hope our listeners hear that as well. We're all on this journey. Um, we've all had, we're all at different points. But one thing we all, all have in common is is the courage to keep going. Yeah. And, Thank you for adding a very large voice to the, to the mix into <laughs> mm-hmm. our community of people listening all, all across the world actually
1: and a brilliant example of the hero's journey mm-hmm. yeah.
2: you,
0: exactly you've
1: certainly um, you had your share of, of dark nights and, yeah. and and now you're bringing back the gifts that you've learned to the community and um, and we appreciate that and and the work that you do Um in all parts of your life
3: yeah thanks and 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 i think folks um sometimes are afraid of looking in those dark places Mm -hmm. but actually that's where the treasure is Mm -hmm. right the dark places are protecting the treasure and and when the time's right and when you have the support that's required and when you know it's ready you can look into the dark place and find out it's actually holding some really beautiful treasures um, of yourself and that was its job was to protect it
1: thank you
0: that's a beautiful spot to end i think
1: yeah well um we we will still call you an enigma but (laughs) as a compliment and uh and none of us are terminally unique um we're we're all in this together and we're all on our own journey and we really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing yours up to this point with us and uh May may we be the first to wish you a happy 60th birthday tomorrow. Thank you. Yes, mm-hmm. thank very, you. Very very exciting.
3: Yeah, it's pretty cool. Thanks. You know, I really appreciate this and that you contacted me and that are willing to to be open to it. Right. It's it's and and let's hope it plants seeds and lets other folks know that you know they're not the only ones.
0: Perfect. All right. Thanks, Suzanne.
1: Well, that's the episode. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. If you liked what you heard here.
0: Check out the website. ObstacleCoursePodcast.com. That's where you can subscribe, check out the show notes. If we have one request, we'd ask you to leave us a kind review and perhaps share this episode. It's not because we have fragile egos. Well... But because we want other great people like you to benefit. Speaking of great people, we have a list of people we want to thank.
1: We've got our Senior Technical Advisor, Andy Robertson. Our Media Partner and Web Designer, Sticky Media. And of course, our Host and Snack Coordinator... Judy Langford.
0: Oh, peanut butter cookies.
1: You can continue the conversation on Instagram and Facebook at Obstacle Course Podcast and on Twitter at Obstacle Pod. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Keep pushing through those obstacles.